Welcome to Legal Aid of West Virginia's podcast. I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director of Legal Aid of West Virginia. In this episode, we will be discussing a program at Legal Aid of West Virginia that places attorneys in our schools. Now, as a good lawyer, I like to start every podcast with a disclaimer, much the same as the chainsaw company tells you not to grab a hold of the chain while it is in operation. I will advise you that Legal Aid of West Virginia is a nonprofit law firm providing legal services and advocacy to vulnerable West Virginians. This podcast is presented to bring relevant and current information. All information is current at the time this podcast is published. This podcast is scheduled to be broadcast in August of 2022, and all information will be up to date as of that time. Our guest attorneys are licensed to practice law in the state of West Virginia, and this information relates only to the law in the state of West Virginia, and it's provided for informational purposes only. While our host and guests are attorneys licensed to practice law, this does not take the place of an attorney-client relationship. You should speak with an attorney about your specific situation. As noted, I'm Clint Adams, Legal Director at Legal Aid of West Virginia, and I'm joined today by Richard Morris. Richard, welcome to the podcast. Morning, Clint. Thanks so much for having me on. Sure thing, Richard. You work in our Morgantown office. What's something that's fun to do in Morgantown? So the great thing about living in Morgan or working in Morgantown, there's there's a lot to do. And um, from the parks, one of the things I actually like doing is going to uh, the Coliseum to catch women's uh, the WVU women's basketball team play. Uh, I like supporting female athletics and the tickets are a far cry from what they charge for the men's games. So it's, it's a great event to be able to go to support the women's team and catch some really great basketball. I'm a big fan of WVU women's basketball. Mike Carey was the coach. I went to school at Salem, and Mike Carey was the coach at the time, and then he moved up to to coach the WVU women's. He recently retired. Uh, Who's the new coach there? Uh, I don't know the name off the top of my head, but I know that she comes with a track record of success, which I think is going to give the program a real big boost. I'm excited about the upcoming season and kind of making it back into the NCAA tournament. So let's talk about what work you do at Legal Aid. Uh, what is your job? So in addition to being uh, an attorney, my my official title is project supervisor for the lawyer in the school project, which means that I oversee the work being done on the project, as well as the attorneys who are uh, lawyers in the school and working within the communities that they serve. So this lawyer in the school, that means that the lawyer is always at the school? Not always in the school, no. Uh, so what the what the goal of this project is, is to meet families who have legal issues where they are, and that tends to be in schools. We're looking to help families who have children, school-aged children, uh, who have been impacted by the opioid crisis here in the state. So one of the ways that we do that is by setting up uh, a clinical schedule where we come to the schools at given points, uh, which is to be determined by the, the attorneys working in this program. And we set up shop there so that people, if they do have a legal issue and they're picking up their kids or maybe dropping their kids off, can come on in and talk with an attorney. Now, do we have lawyers in every school in West Virginia? Not in every school, no. Right now, we have five attorneys who service eight counties within the state. So while we're all kind of spread out in the state and we're not in as many counties as we want to be and certainly not as many counties as we hope to be going forward. Uh, we are certain starting to expand our presence a little bit. How would someone know if there was a lawyer in the in their school district? So one of the great things about this program is we work really closely, not only with the individual schools, but the Board of Educations, the superintendents. We believe that sending out flyers is a great way of making sure that if you 
do have a clinic in one of these schools you can attend and what the clinical hours are though we do understand when it comes to flyers sometimes if they're sent home with the kids these flyers end up in the bottom of uh, backpacks so what we also try to do is advertise online through the schools uh, usually they have facebook pages uh, where they will post our clinical schedule or if there is a um, kind of parents organization that works with the school we'll let them know as well and they'll be happy to do that so if you don't see a flyer and it's not at the back it's not at the bottom of a kid's backpack always check the social media accounts for your individual school uh, or ask your principal because we work closely with them as well and they'll know having an eight-year-old daughter i can tell you that that may be buried underneath of the week-long m&ms that have since melted all together at the bottom yep. of her book bag or occasionally <laughs> the day before something happens my daughter will bring me this and go i've been meaning to give this to you for a week okay right. that that means i have to cook a, a bake sale for tomorrow but we'll figure that out so this lawyer in the school do you represent the children in the school who do you represent um as an attorney well that's a really great question so no we don't represent the children we typically are representing the um the the adults who are caring for the children and i say adults because it's not always parents this program really seeks to ensure that children who have been impacted by the opioid crisis gain some measure of stability. You know, Clint, what we see a lot here in the state is a lot of grandparents, great grandparents who are raising children unexpectedly in all cases, really in most cases. So what we try to do is reach this population that we know is out there and we know is a big population and we want to help them try and get some sort of legal stability legal standing things like guardianships adoptions we tend to do but we also do assist parents if it's a divorce if it's you know something related to domestic violence custody we do assist everybody just not the children directly what we do is we try to stabilize their lives by helping the adults who are taking care of them so when you talk about guardians or adoptions, things of that nature, do you have to have a legal document that that makes you the the legal guardian? Because I'm thinking that that might be the legal issue that people need help with. Right, and 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 it is. So without a sort of order from a court explicitly saying you are now this child's guardian, what we tend to see quite a bit of is cases where grandma and grandpa are taking care of, of a young child. Mom and dad may have signed something just on notebook paper saying, I give my mom and dad, Shelly and Joe, all rights to my child so that they can make decisions. Really what that is, Clint, that's a temporary care agreement. And by its title, it's temporary. It can be revoked by the parent at any time for whatever reason. So it's in essence, a paper shield. And if you ever needed a shield, you don't want it to be made out of paper. What the legal guardianship does is it kind of puts a little bit of steel on that shield. All right. It's going to be more protective of the person who has it, which is why we encourage the families that we work with. If all they have is that temporary care agreement, that they really should consider the guardianship route so that in, the, in, in, in a case where the biological parents may come back and the guardian doesn't believe that it's in the child's best interest to go with them for whatever reason, they at least have that protection where the parents just can't come and take the children. Now let's play that on the other side. Let's say you represent a guardian who comes in who says the biological parent ha had gone through some opioid issues. They're, they've straightened that out. They've got their life back on track and I don't want to be the guardian anymore. I want mom or dad or or mom and dad to take over custody and care of the child, what steps would someone take in that situation? 
So, and obviously that, that, that's kind of the goal. Guardianship is not meant to be a sort of permanent solution. Guardianship really is meant to be sort of a placeholder where grandparents, whoever has the guardianship, and and in my case, it's typically the the grandparents, step into that role as a parent um, to assume the rights, duties, responsibilities of a parent so that this child is taken care of. It's great if the biological parents come back into the scene, they are gainfully employed, they no longer suffer from substance use disorder, they seem to have their lives straightened out, and they're ready to assume, reassume that mantle of parental responsibility. In that case, that's great. Then what would happen is something would need to be filed with the court that ordered the guardianship in the first place, saying, I no longer wish to be guardian. We don't see a need for it. It's no longer in the child's best interest that this guardianship continue. And in that case, if the parents are on board and the guardian is on board, pretty straightforward, the judge will grant it. Now, in, in addition to guardianships, you mentioned earlier you can handle divorce cases. Could you handle a divorce when a, a mother and father of the child are getting divorced? Oh, absolutely. Yeah. If if they qualify for our services, we can certainly handle uh, a, a divorce for them. Mm-hmm. And, and, and Clint, as you know, you know, legal aid has, has really expanded the resources that people can can utilize if they have any questions about the divorce process. And if while looking at those, if we service one of the schools that their child is in and they, after reviewing our great website and have any questions about the divorce process, want to come in and discuss it, they're more than welcome to. And uh, one of the great things about these clinics, one of the great things about legal aid is that our services are free. So when you talked about um, if they're eligible for our services, what does it take to be eligible for services through this project? To be eligible for services in this project, all right, obviously there's an income check that we have to do, all right? We as a nonprofit civil legal aid organization, you know, we we tend to service the the people who otherwise can't afford an attorney. So if you have have some income that maybe puts you below the federal poverty line or maybe just a little bit over, typically we can help. Obviously, if you're earning six figures, we're not going to be able to assist you. You're going to be over income. And the thinking being there is that you can go out, hire an attorney to assist you with your legal issue. So that's the first prong. The second prong is obviously a conflict check. Okay, where this kind of comes into play is if we've represented somebody in a previous case that's associated with the new case, we may be conflicted out because we may have information about this potential opposing party that would be detrimental or violate ethical rules that we have as attorneys. So we have to do a conflict check. Um, Really, though, those are the only two prongs that you need to clear the hurdles that you need to clear uh, in order to qualify for our services. Now, aside from family law cases like divorce or guardianship, what other kinds of cases do you see? So aside from those kind of in the family law realm, we also do landlord tenant. So if you're having an issue with your landlord, that's certainly something we can assist you with, as well as expungements. You know, the expungement laws here in West Virginia um, have begun to become a little bit more liberal. You know, a few years ago, Clint, I know you and I were looking at expungements and Boy, you had to you had to be a very particular kind of like <laughs> person, offense. And it, it basically excluded 99 out of 100 people who were looking for expungements. Yeah, the, in the old law, you got one free misdemeanor before you turned 26. They've revisited that law and updated that law, so they've made some changes to the expungement law. What's kind of an overview of someone who might be eligible for an expungement? So nowadays, you're right, prior to this kind of expansion, 
of the expungement laws. All right. Uh, you had to be under 26. It was only one misdemeanor. Now more more offenses are covered. Uh, I think they've gotten rid of that that age cap. Certainly things that are still in place. So the important thing to know is really this covers um, offenses that were misdemeanors, nonviolent, didn't involve children. So your big time felonies, murder, arson, assault, any offenses involving children, those are still excluded. You can't get those expunged from your record. But if you have, say, a shoplifting offense, um, you paid your restitution to society, you've done everything that you needed to do, typically we can see about getting that expunged for you. Now, you talk about expungement of your criminal records. What if you're facing criminal charges? Is that something that uh, legal aid could help with? No. And that's a really good distinction, Clint. So if, if, if you are facing criminal charges or you have criminal charges currently pending, we do not assist with that. We are a civil legal aid society, meaning we do not handle anything criminal. All right. So if you are facing criminal charges, you would either need to hire an attorney or if you cannot afford an attorney, the court will appoint one to you. So when you talk about these clinics and, and you're meeting with um, people, are you meeting with the parents at the schools or the, the clients at the school, actually on the school facility? Yeah. Yeah. One of the great things about this project has been the school's cooperation in providing us with space at the schools at a prescribed time so that when people do come in, whether or not they have appointments, whether they're just walk-ins, where they can meet with us in a confidential space with no one else around. Because when you are talking with an attorney, and even though you are a potential client at that point, you're not a client who's kind of past the hurdles that we talked about. But still, whatever you talk to that attorney about remains confidential. So we wanted to secure a place within the schools where no one else is around and you could feel comfortable talking freely with an attorney about the legal issue that you're seeking assistance with. Now, would that have the same confidentiality that you'd have if you met in our in one of our offices? 100%. Yes, it would have the same sort of confidentiality. If you're talking to an attorney, you can be talking to the attorney in their in their office. So up here in our Morgantown office, you can be talking to them at one of our lawyer in the school clinics at the individual school. You could be talking to an attorney, having having some coffee at McDonald's. If you're talking to an attorney, you know, and you're talking to them about your legal issue, typically rules of confidentiality uh, apply. So that wouldn't be something you'd share with the principal or the teachers or or anybody else within the school district. Is that correct? That's correct. And I know that, that this is audio, but if people could see me, they'd see me shaking my head. No, that's not. We don't share any of that information. We take confidentiality, um, as all attorneys should, and most attorneys do. We, we take it very, very seriously. So no, if you are coming, seeking our assistance, everything that you tell us remains confidential. So you mentioned earlier that our services are free. Um, one of the great shows that I enjoyed watching was Breaking Bad. I don't know if you're familiar with Breaking Bad, but if you're not, it's the story of a high school chemistry teacher who is diagnosed with cancer, trying to find a way to provide for his family. He decides that um, the manufacturing methamphetamines unlawfully would be a good way to provide for his family. He sees that as a very lucrative thing. Um, but there comes a scene where an attorney gets involved and the attorney, um, they're preparing to take some pretty harsh actions against this attorney. And the attorney says, put a dollar in my pocket. You got to put a dollar in my pocket so I can have attorney client privilege. So you got to, and the one guy's like, I only got a five, but that he says, put that in my pocket. Now, do you have to put a dollar in someone's pocket in order to get the benefits of attorney client privilege? No. 
no uh and and not and not for us and 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 i know the show that you're talking about and everything uh that's not the case all right if you are talking to an attorney with the expectation of discussing your legal issue with this attorney and you as the potential client believe that there is there is privilege here and usually there is if, if you're talking to an attorney about a legal issue confidentiality rules apply now after we've done our checks and if there's a conflict that information still remains confidential even if we cannot represent you so i just wanted to debunk that mystery that uh, yes. that breaking bad had put in place you do not have to pay someone a dollar in order to have the benefits of the attorney client privilege so uh, richard when we talk about the lawyer in the school program and as we noted you're out in the community you're meeting with people in in the the schools are there other places that you meet with your clients so during the summer months we typically will meet people at the public library and that's just because teachers don't work well let me rephrase that my wife is a teacher teachers work year round. they just do not work in the schools in the summer okay so for any teachers listening i certainly understand the work does not stop come summertime but during the summer the schools typically aren't available and usually there's no reason to be bringing the children to the school when you know it's august and and there's nothing going on at the school so during those times we still want to maintain an active role within the community and that's where we've partnered with local libraries to where we kind of still host these legal clinics and people can still come in and see us now when you talked about the children being there so th there's a certain convenience do you generally invite the children to your meetings typically no if it's if it's on just because we're we're discussing potentially sensitive legal issue now if the children are of say tender age they're four five six seven they may not know what's going on usually if it's unavoidable and you need to keep eyes on them they'll come in they'll sit they'll play with a toy they'll play with a phone or something like that and we'll do our best to just not delve into the weeds of it because we don't want the child to be re-traumatized you know they've already kind of lost the stability of not having their biological parents around potentially they've maybe had to see things that they shouldn't have to see no child should have to see so what we try to do is be cognizant look sometimes they need to come in if they can't sit at the front you know with the um with the school um kind of assistant somebody just kind of keep an eye on them during you know the end of the day then all right they can come in that's okay what about a, an older child let's say you have a high school age child maybe 16 17 18 years old um you know some of the children are going to be adults <laughs> that, that are still attending school what about them and the legal issues they may see and i've not come across any sort of older children who um who have legal issues themselves so i think in that respect if if it was a a minor who is 16 17 who maybe has a legal issue themselves then we would want to meet with them privately okay now if it's a legal issue where they're living with their grandma and grandma wants to adopt the minor and the minor is 16 17 okay they they can certainly be involved in that process as well because and in that context the court is going to want to hear from that minor all right they're 16 17 years old the court wants to know hey are you okay with this adoption going forward so it makes sense to bring them in if a parent comes in wants to talk about a divorce and that 15 16 year old is with them typically we try we ask the the minor to step out just because 
that's a little bit more sensitive information about a parental relationship. They may have information about it, but it's really not the time or the place to be getting into it, especially in one of our uh, our school-based clinics. Now, can we provide assistance if the minor is a victim, for example, of a crime? Maybe it's domestic violence perpetrated by a, a, a parent, or maybe it's domestic violence or sexual assault perpetrated by a peer. Is that something we can assist with? Absolutely. I mean, if it's civil in nature um, and and the minor or the child has has been victimized by it, th- those are certainly areas that we can assist, especially in the domestic violence realm. All right, Richard. Well, I thank you for taking the time to visit with us today. Um, I'm appreciative of the work that you do through the Lawyer in the School program. I think it's a great program that uh, allows us to serve many clients. Well, thank you so much, Clint. I really appreciate the time. And uh, if you do have any questions about the Lawyer in the School program and you want to know if it's available at the school that your child attends, feel free to ask the principal, ask the staff there. They know about us. Uh, just a quick count of the uh, the counties that we do serve real quick. We're in Preston, Taylor, Marion, Kanawha, Cabell, Wayne, Mercer, and McDowell. So if you have children in any of those counties, there's a lawyer in the school program down there that can assist you. Well, great. I appreciate your work on that project and thank you for taking the time today. No problem, Clint. Thank you so much. More information on this and all topics that we discuss on our podcast is available at our website, LegalAWV.org. Oftentimes, legal issues can compromise a child's stability and cause upheaval, anxiety, and stress for a child. This can cause trouble with the child's focus on schoolwork and affect their ability to interact with peers and succeed in school. While our Lawyer in the School program serve only a few West Virginia counties, do not hesitate to contact Legal Aid of West Virginia if you have legal issues affecting a child's stability. More information about these topics is on our website at LegalAidWV.org, or you can call our intake line at 866-255-4370. Thank you for listening to today's podcast. We hope you've enjoyed this, a presentation of Legal Aid of West Virginia.